Welcome to Toothpaste, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. There are two sides to our great profession. On one side, we have financial independence and personal fulfillment. On the other side, we have financial hardship, depression, and burnout. Why do some dentists thrive in this profession and others struggle to get out of bed in the morning? That is exactly what we are trying to find out. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we talk to some really smart people that can give you some insights on how to thrive in dentistry and life. Thank you for listening. And now for our hosts, Dr. Jessica Gall and Dr. Vincent Buscemi. What's up, freak dentist? I'm dead. I never know how to start the podcast, but I say, what's up, dentist? Or what's up, Toothpaste Nation? There's no good way. Welcome to Toothpaste, the podcast, the bed, the best, the bed, the best podcast you listen to. Today's podcast is brought to you by Buscemi Family Dentistry. If you like a dentist who doesn't take your insurance, who forces you to use a rubber dam, who will not use nitrous gas to relax you, and who works in Bloomfield Hills, Buscemi Family Dentistry is your dental office. Um... We have no sponsors. Our other sponsor is Jessica Gall's company, Total Practice Transitions. She's a really good broker. So if you're selling your dental practice or buying a dental practice, reach out to her. Today's another solo cast. I'm really enjoying doing these solo podcasts. People reach out after and they say, Vince, they're so dumb. Stop doing it. Go back to being a dentist. You're an idiot. It gives me motivation to keep going. It's 6.58 on a Friday morning. I don't work Fridays. And if you're a dentist, you probably feel the same way. It's very relaxing to be in your office with no patients, no staff. You can actually get a few things done. Yesterday, my daughter turned six. Well, my oldest of four turned six. And today we're going to a place called Urban Air, which is a big trampoline park. So I want to record this podcast and get home before everyone wakes up. So we can all have breakfast together and then go to Urban Air and I can either like break my neck or break my back and have to retire from dentistry and get my disability. I hope every dentist out there, and this is financial advice from my financial advisor, is maxing out your disability and you have enough in your savings account to ride you until disability kicks in. So I think it takes three to six months for your disability policy to prove you're not lying. So the fake neck brace you have in your closet, unfortunately, is not going to work. Okay. Let's talk about risk today, what it means to take a risk, how to mitigate risk, and how to actually evaluate what is risky. All these solo podcasts come from experience in my life and the stupid and terrible mistakes I've made in the past. I've made decisions that I did not think were risky, like getting into a partnership, and I'll get more into that later, and it ended up being really risky. So let's dive into that. But first, I want to explain why I'm talking about this. I just took a sip of coffee there if you're on Spotify. Um, Last weekend, I flew down to Hotlanta. I don't know if people are still calling it Hotlanta. And I did a blueprint day with the Scheduling Institute. If you don't know them, they're a consulting agency. They're not cheap. Um, and they're, I don't say they're pushy on sales, but they really pull all the stops out to get you to sign up. And 
Like a chump, I signed up for one full year of consulting, which is probably the equivalent <clears throat> of one year salary of a hygienist. And I just had a hygienist quit for a big chain dental company. They offered her a sign-on bonus, a couple more dollars an hour, and she quit. So basically, whatever her salary was for the year, I just took that and bought a year of consulting. And although I have nothing negative to say about this hygienist, and she's wonderful, and I wish her the best, I do think that the money spent on the consultant will probably get a better ROI than the hygienist. And only because I'm not busy enough for two hygienists. I'm really only busy enough for 1.3 hygienists. So it's going to work out. Okay. So I went down to Hotlanta and did the consulting interview blueprint day. And they make every dentist take a personality test. And I took a personality test. The name of the test is called the Colby A. Now, you have to take all these tests with a grain of salt because who's a stupid psychologist that created the test and how valid is it towards success? But they evaluate four areas of your life and they call it fact-finding, follow-through, risk, and I forgot the last one. It doesn't matter. Um, but they evaluate your ability or your tolerance of risk. And on a scale of one to seven, one being you can't tolerate any risk. You don't like any uncertainty and risk in your life. And seven being you're basically evil Knievel. Um, I can't believe I'm still, I'm like old enough that evil Knievel is a reference now. But on a scale of one to seven, I'm a two. Meaning that like the only risk I'm willing to take is maybe not double knot my shoes. <laughs> when I tie my shoes, that's it. I don't like uncertainty. I don't like risk. And it causes me to have anxiety when I take risk. And when I was talking to the consultant about this, she was mentioning that most dentists share this profile. You know, I, I thought I was unique and that I was a special, smart, savvy dentist, but I my profile under the Colby A behavior assessment is very similar to most dentists. We are all risk adverse. Some less than others, but the reason why we're risk adverse, it doesn't really have to do with clinical procedures you're doing. Yeah, if you're doing more advanced surgery and more oral surgery type dentistry as a general dentist, you're probably less risk adverse. But we're all more risk adverse because we all went into a established profession. If you're a dentist and you think you're an entrepreneur, you're an idiot. You're not, I hate when dentists on Instagram or TikTok, they always say like entrepreneur by birth, dentist by trade. You're not. Entrepreneurs create businesses that didn't exist in the beginning or create products. So maybe like one in a million dentists who like, maybe if you create the Toffelmeyer, you're an entrepreneur, but you're not. You're a small business owner, but the actual business of dentistry has been established since people have had teeth. So dentists pick dentistry or people pick the profession of dentistry because dentistry is already established and it's not risky from that point of view. You're not trying to convince people to get an abscess tooth pulled because it's not a new thing. They know it's needed. So you're going into an already established profession and people with my personality, they like that. Doesn't mean we're followers. Doesn't mean we're sheep. Doesn't mean we can't 
critically think on our own. It just means that we like the idea that dentistry is established and then we can go in and own a small piece of that and then help people or produce or create value for others. So most of us are low in risk tolerance, but what does it mean to be low in risk tolerance and how do you know what you're taking is actually in a risk or it's not risky? So let me give you an example. When I was in my early 30s, everyone knows this, I entered a business partnership. So I was the third dentist in a group practice. There was two locations. One location was doing like almost $4 million. The other location was doing like 300000 It was kind of a joke. Um, I bought into it. So I bought, well, actually I bought 25% of it. It's a long story, but I bought a percentage of a group practice. My thinking was, this was low risk because now that I own part of a practice, I have two other people to rely on and these two people will help keep the business afloat, help move clinical dentistry towards excellence, help push the needle on the technology, everything in the practice, help deal with staff, help deal with finances. I thought by going in with two other business partners, it would be a lower risk situation because I'm risk adverse. So I purchased into this group practice, assuming it was low risk. Three years later, I lost $250,000. So can you imagine doing something you think is low risk and losing a quarter of a million dollars before you turn 33 years old that you didn't own in the first place? So it wasn't low risk. The reason why it wasn't low risk because I wasn't evaluating risk properly. All I was evaluating was three dentists sharing the responsibility and obligation of a practice. What I didn't evaluate was who are these people? Are they psychopaths? Yes. Are they criminals? I can't say because my lawyer would be upset with me. But I didn't evaluate the character of these individuals which was the most risky part of the whole decision. So I walked into a situation, I evaluated it as low risk, that agreed with me because I'm a risk adverse individual and it ended up being a super risky situation. So a good thing to think about when you're evaluating risk is, is this actually a risky situation? Or is this a not risky situation? So if we back up a little bit too, what is risk? The basic line is risk is something, some action you take. And there's either going to be positive consequences and negative consequences. I shouldn't say either or. There's both. There's positive consequences and negative consequences to an action. And if the positive consequences, both short-term and long-term, outweigh the negative consequences short-term and long-term, then most people's brains say this is low risk, high payoff, let's do it. Or even if the positive consequences are really valuable to you, but there's still a lot of negative consequences that might happen and it's even more risky, but the payoff is worth it, people might do it. It depends on your risk tolerance. So I'm not sure if I brought this up before, but when I bought my second practice, I already had a loan out on the group practice, 
where they refused to pay me out. And it was very hard to get a loan from a bank again for another practice when my track record wasn't great for the first loan. So I had to put my house up for a second mortgage. This is a super high risk, but I saw that the payoff was worth it. I had to get a home equity line. I basically mortgaged my entire house at a variable rate to pay for the second practice, which if you talk to any accountant or any financial advisor, is like the dumbest, most risky decision you could make. However, the payoff was I'd be able to purchase a practice that I owned by myself and I could operate within and create freedom for me and my family because I'm the sole operator of this practice. Worked out. I was Long story short, I paid off the home equity line. I still have the old loan. I didn't lose my house. But that was a super risky decision. But the payoff was worth taking that risk. So when you're trying to make these decisions, you have to ask yourself, what can you lose by making this decision? But what can you gain? And the best way to evaluate risk is you have to create, and actually one of our guests, Mark Shalal, who was on this podcast a couple months ago, gave us his top three at the end of the podcast. And he gave us this piece of advice where you have to create what's called a hierarchy of values in your life. What's the most valuable thing in your life? And write down five things. And those five things are what you should spend your life pursuing. And there's always going to be risk associated with those items or pursuing those items. But it's not risky to pursue those values (coughs) because losing out on those values is more risky than not pursuing them. So to evaluate risk, you have to ask yourself, what are you losing by not pursuing that value or what you want? Or what could happen? What could you lose by failing to get that? So if you look at my hierarchy of values, number one, family. The most risky thing in my life would be not to live a life where I'm providing and protecting my family. So let's say I come home from work and instead of going instead of going home, I go to the bar. You get a payoff by having fun going to the bar, but what you lose is quality time with your family. And that's a huge risk because I don't want to get to the end of my life and not know my kids or not be the father or husband that supported my family. And the list goes down. Number two for me is freedom. And that's kind of an abstract concept, but Anything that increases freedom in my life is worth the risk. So like buying this practice and being on my own was worth the risk. Going into a partnership, which I didn't know the actual partners, if I look back on that, reduced my chances of freedom and self-sovereignty because I was at the whim of two idiots who were also running a business that I own with them. That's very risky. So what I would lose by entering that partnership was freedom. And I didn't evaluate that correctly. So when you're looking at what decisions to make, look at what you can achieve and look at what you would lose if you didn't get that. So number three on my list is health. 
and freedom kind of goes into that because if you're healthy, you're free. But for me, if you follow my Instagram, I've been posting a lot on health. For me, drinking alcohol, we'll say, eating sugar, eating crap food, that is risky. Because by doing that, not sleeping well, it's risky. You risk losing out on health. And if you're not healthy, you live a shitty life. You lose that value. So are there risks by trying to achieve health? The risks are low. Um, You lose a couple of friends. They probably think you're a weirdo because you're not out drinking. But in your 30s, you don't need drinking buddies. You need to be healthy. So I really want you guys to think about maybe the top five values in your life. If I can rattle mine off, it's going to be my family's number one, freedom's number two, my character's three, health is four, money's five, and they, they fluctuate. Family's always at the top. There's nothing that would supersede family, but I would be living a risky life if I didn't pursue those values. So any risk that I incur by trying to grab those values or achieve those values is lower than the risk I would incur by not achieving those values. Another way to say this is any negative consequences I would have to endure by protecting my family, by trying to be healthy, by trying to be free are still lower than the negative consequences of not doing that. And if you look at some of the psychological research on regret at the end of your life, people regret more not doing things than doing things. So this all lines up. So I'm super smart and all the psychological research does coincide with my thinking. But on a serious note, look at what you're risking in life. Are you an associate and you want to be an owner of a practice? but you think it's riskier to own a practice, look at your values. Is it riskier to own a practice or is it riskier to be an associate? And that is individualistic to what you're trying to achieve. For me, it would be riskier to be an associate because I don't have the freedom to run the business than if I was the sole owner. Yeah, there's more responsibility. But if I'm an associate and the dental practice starts to go under or starts to go bankrupt, There's nothing I can do about that. If I'm the owner of a practice and the business starts to go under or go bankrupt, I'm 100% responsible for bringing that back up to being profitable. And I'm more comfortable doing that than having my future controlled by somebody else. So I really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. I've never gone this long on a solo podcast before without notes. I, I hope I wasn't rambling. I'm really passionate about philosophical ethics, or if you say that in like in regular terms, it's like how to live your best life. I've always, as a kid, been obsessed about it, and as an adult, I'm still obsessed about it. And the more I do these solo podcasts, the more I think about what are ways that all of us can live our best life. Remember, I'm just some guy who lives in... Uh, Michigan that's giving you advice, so please take it with a grain of salt. Um, In a year, I may change this advice, but right now, this is how I'm living, and I know there's some people out there that this is helping them, so I always give my phone number out at the end. People do call me. It's 586-335-6833. Please call me. Um, 
I love doing this podcast. I love you guys reaching out to me. Please help me promote this podcast. Subscribe to me on YouTube. Follow me on Spotify. Follow my Instagram. Just do that and keep doing what you're doing. All right, guys. I really appreciate you, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Well, there you have it. Another great episode of Two Faced, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us on Instagram at toothfacedpodcast or email us at toothfacedpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>